You're listening to Off the Back Foot, a Gloucestershire County cricket fan podcast with me, Graham Jones. Before we start the usual introduction to the podcast, uh, I'd just like to highlight Fred Collinson. Fred is the opening bowler for Gloucestershire under-15s and was uh, diagnosed with a rare but treatable form of bone cancer back in September 2020. Um, Fred is currently undergoing treatment in Bristol and his teammates, the wonderful team that they are, have decided to organise a 24-hour net on the 2nd and 3rd of January 2021 to raise money um, for the E-Wings Sarcoma Research Trust. Um, during 24 hours, they aim to beat Alistair Cook's record of scoring 12,472 test match runs. Each ball hit in the net session will count as one run. Um, so if you'd like to go and support this brilliant cause, um, you can go on to Virgin Money Giving and uh, follow a link there, or I'll also pop the link on the Twitter feed. So uh, please do check that out, and uh, it's a great cause. Joining us for our 2020 Christmas special is Geraint Jones. This is part one of two. Uh, in part one, we talk about his humble beginnings over in Australia, his move and his fascinating journey uh, in England, and then his rise through the Kent ranks and then his debut seasons for England. So I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. He was a pleasure to talk to and uh, have a Merry Christmas. Geraint Jones, hello, how are you? Evening, very well, thank you. We're good, thank you for coming on. Um, how's the whole lockdown experience going for you? Uh, not too bad, to be fair, because working in a school, we've had to keep open, keep going, and um, and I think that's really helped, you know, going into work every day and, uh, you know, being seeing the, seeing the kids and seeing them sort of enjoy them and, and having a relatively normal life yeah we've got to do the distancing and you know clean after every lesson and so there's those there's a few new routines but I think you know compared to a lot of people who you know haven't gone into work and are are at home uh, I'm I'm feeling quite lucky that you know I'm in the job I am. Yeah I agree I'm in the same boat as you so it's nice to get up and go to work in the morning I guess. Um, Right I'm going to want to go all the way back to your first cricketing memory. Do you remember your first cricket bat? Yeah, pretty sure it was a Duncan Fernley attack. Nice, um, nice. And considering I grew up in Australia, it was, um, yeah, right, an interesting choice. But, you know, the, the likes of that time, you know, I think Ian Botham used one around then. And, you know, there's some real names that use them. But, you know, generally in Australia, people would go towards the Kookaburra. But, you know, I had the, I remember the Ridgebacks and, you know, and uh, Grey Nichols had the power spots and scoops and twin scoops. So there was... You know, all those great bats of, of that sort of time. But um, thinking back, I'm pretty sure I had early on was a, a Duncan Fernley attack. Just like the look of it, you know, the stickers and much like kids nowadays are really attracted to the look. That's what that's what I liked. Oh, excellent. Did, have you noticed the change in bats, obviously, from when you first started playing to, to, to what they're like now? Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're massive now. Uh, <laughs> it sort of happened transition through my my career without doubt um i necessarily i didn't really 
I never went huge because I just the look of them and they quite often a bit bottom heavy and I never liked that. So I was a midway. I liked a bit of size to them, but not not the crazy size you're probably seeing now. And, uh, you know, I, I liked something I could sort of wave around a bit and cut and pull. And, you know, that was my sort of game. Uh, yeah. So, but, but now they're, you know, they're, they're incredible sizes and, um, you know, what bat, bat makers are able to do now with a piece of willow. Um, they don't last very long. You know, that's the one thing as a parent now, if you're buying them, <laughs> you, you know, you're probably tearing your hair out. You look at these bats, they look amazing, but uh, they're not built to last like they used to, like, you know, when they were pressed, beyond beyond sort of all recognition i remember even as a kid you know talk about first bats the hours i spent knocking them in yeah rolling against the bath to to do a bit of extra pressing make sure the edges didn't didn't get sort of nicks and you know cracks in them and uh you know that that was my childhood i definitely remember that even get the oil out now whereas you know you don't have to do any of that they you know it's it's, it's easy for them off the shelf away you go yeah, I agree. Who was your cricket hero growing up? Um, I'm probably going to say Ian Healy, to be honest. Uh, again, being in Australia, uh, loving wicket keeping. Uh, he, he was the one who was on the TV. He was, you know, he was the one who was playing. So he initially, yeah, def- definitely him. But I, just, I, you know, I love them all. I, I would remember running in. You know, if I was going to bowl, I'd mimic someone. I, you know, put put the action on. And so anyone that was sort of in the playing cricket and TV and you know at that age I'd I'd go down to the to the Gabba and and watch you know it was a bit of a treat to go watch uh, you know one day international but um but as well as that I've got you know a real strong memory of Jack Russell you know Gloucester great uh, he took a leg side stumping off Gladstone Small uh to stump Dean Jones at Perth notoriously bouncy bouncy ground and um you know jack came up and you know the gloucester fans will have known and seen that you know day in day out but um for someone to do that at perth it was sort of a bit unheard of and um you know and and that then opened my eyes up to uh different styles of keeping and the true sort of you know standing up and what you're able to to do there so i was you know I i was really lucky to be able to to work with jack later on down the line yeah, no, he's a cracking fella as well, isn't he? Um, what's your first experience of actually playing cricket? Then, what were your first club side? Because obviously, you you moved about a bit, didn't you? Yeah. So again, um, you know, I grew up, grew up in a place called Toowoomba, and it it was for a you know a, a club club in Toowoomba. Just as a youngster, it was uh, you know. So I moved to Australia when I was six from Papua New Guinea, and that's where I first found the game of cricket and uh, and pretty quickly through school. Obviously, over there, you play it heavily in school. Um, mm. And then you, you also play a bit of club stuff where probably a bit reversed here where generally guys play a lot of club stuff and hardly anything in school. Um, yeah, so it was just playing for my local side. Uh, you know, as a young... My dad told me a story recently where my mum and dad were watching and they went, you know, my mum went mental because I was feeling on one side and I ran over to the other side of the pitch, picked the ball up, threw it at the stumps and ran someone out. And, uh, and you know, my mum went, oh, he shouldn't be doing that. He picked the ball up in front of that boy. What's he doing? That's, you know, he's not being very nice. And my dad had to go, yeah, but... Did a bit, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I've got those sort of memories. And also uh, the pit, he's playing a few, I was almost dropping pitches. They were 
built up on aluminium bases because um, in the you know in the winter months they'd play football or soccer on them, yeah. and, and yeah. then for summer they'd drop and but they'd be because they're up on these bases they'd be hollow and so they'd make the ball would bounce and make this big bong noise and so you know there's there's funny things like that that I that I, I remember them um, but just yeah being outside and trying to trying to do everything trying to bat bowl keep um so yeah i, I you know I, I remember just loving the game and 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 trying to do as much as i could in in the game as you as you sort of grew up you know past the age of six and you're getting into teenage years did you start to realize you you had a bit of talent or, or were you was, did you not recognize it yourself how did it sort of come about that you started playing cricket more regularly uh, yeah, I, I guess I started getting picked in regional sides, uh, the likes of almost like county setups over over here, where uh, I go on to big, go along to big trial sessions, um, you know, and do all right. And then so uh, getting selected in, it was called uh, the my region was called the Darling Downs. Uh, is that was the area that Toowoomba was in. So uh, getting picked for Darling Downs was was quite a significant thing, and uh, you would then go off to state championships and try to get picked for Queensland and then through Queensland you go off and play against other states so I was I knew I was at a decent level uh never but I'd always I was always a bit in awe of people I'd go and play so being from a, a country town so Toowoomba's about two hours outside of Brisbane which is the capital of, of Queensland we'd always go play you know the city guys and of and the I was always in awe of the the Brisbane players and especially the keepers and and what they could do so I, I never felt I was as good as them, but I was just happy to be playing against them in a way. Were you keeping from an early age then? Yeah. Yeah. I tried bowling, but I was about three foot nothing. So I'd tear in and, you know, it wouldn't bounce. So, uh, but I loved moving around. So I played, I played football a lot and I loved being in goal and diving. So it was a natural thing for me being behind the stumps and, and being involved in the game, every ball and being able to, you know, be quite athletic behind there, dive and jump and, you know, run around. So it it was a natural position for me. Uh, and I, I loved it. I loved being in the game. So, yeah, from from pretty early on, I was I was behind the sticks. And then you you, you came over to the UK. I'll probably jump forward a bit. Did you ever get a season at Lydney? Yeah, that was my first place, to be honest. Um, to, out of school, I was an you know, 18-year-old, pretty fresh-faced. Um Wanted to use cricket as a chance to, to to travel. Didn't really didn't really know what I wanted to do career wise, as in you know having a job. I knew I, you know I did have a job. I went, but I knew this is a chance to use cricket. I had a British passport, um, so yeah, let's let's give it a go for a summer. And uh, but yeah, so that was in 1995. Uh, loved it. You know, incredible club. Um, yeah, still got some good friends there. Uh, and just a great place to play for the summer. I I worked in a, a local factory, so I, my working hours were six in the morning till two, and then in the afternoon I'd be down down on the on the pitch at, at, at the ground there, helping Parky the groundsman to cut the outfield, you know, uh, roll the pitch, everything I could just to get. And I just loved being immersed in a club, and I did really well. I, I scored a truckload of runs for the for the summer, and then. You know, it really helped with my progression on my batting, especially um, when I went back then to Australia for the next few years before I came out again in, in 98. 
bit slower um, and a bit slower and lower in in Lydney was it than than Oz? Yeah, yeah, it was nice not having the ball rattle around your ears all the time. So um, you know, it it definitely helped help my play progress in that in that manner because yeah, in Australia uh, you didn't get many drives and I was quite short anyway. So that's why you know cutting and pulling yeah sort of was was a heavy run scoring option for me, but. Lydney definitely helped with that ability to to get on the front foot and um, and and drive drive more. So it uh, at the age of eighteen to go and immerse yourself and play a load of cricket and uh, and have success was was un- unbelievable and um, you know definitely definitely helped with progression. Yeah, excellent. And you got to the age of um, you know into into your very early twenties, say twenty or so, and you you hadn't quite made it signed as a pro that then. <laughs> Do you feel your chance had gone? How does the move to Kent come about as well? Well, again, I went after Lydney, I went back to Oz, um, you know, to, to play cricket. And I was playing at a good stand, good level then. Yeah. I was um, you know, I was playing in the in the A grade competition in Brisbane. So, you know, the, the best standard I could then. Um, you know, and I started I got a bit of recognition. I played for the Queensland Colts, which is the under 21. Um, mm. got got into uh, the academy of sports side uh, but then it sort of halted a bit because the as and that was almost that was a bit of second 11 cricket as well but there was a guy who had was had been the second 11 keeper for quite a few years but he had gone to melbourne to try and get into the victorian state side but that hadn't gone so well but then so he came back to queensland and when he came back that sort of signaled my time sort of you know coming to an end with Queensland second level and I and I thought then that you know I, I didn't really have anywhere to progress forward because the guy playing for Queensland turned into an absolute legend played a few times for Australia Ian Healy was playing for Australia so I looked at that and thought okay well I love my time at Lydney uh, let's let's go back to back to England um, play some cricket I thought you know it was I was going to combine it with university, uh, get a bit of an education, but use that passport and cricket to to get me in. And that's where, you know, that, that's where um, Dorks comes into it quite heavily. Oh, you know, he's, um, you know, he he. I met Owen in in Australia playing playing for Beanie Logan, and and we struck up a great sort of friendship from there. And um, so when I came back in '98 and played at Clevedon. Um, for a year and again did did well there but the crazy thing was i they had me opening the bowling you know i remember the first <laughs> the first chat so here i was i'd come over you know i'd, I'd played good level at being a wicketkeeper my whole life just bowled in the nets and the first sat in the pub first question yeah yeah we know you can you know you can keep but can you bowl <laughs> i was a bit sore what i wasn't sure about that. and uh and i went well sort of but not really and they said well we'll decide that and I bowled in the nets in the way, and that was it. I've taken the new ball for Clevedon when I'd come over as their overseas pro as a as a keeper. Um, but it's good. It, it added to the enjoyment level of it, and you know it, we had great good success. Um, but then I, I started to think about okay, I'd, I'd watched some cricket. Cricket was on TV at that point. Um, you know and I, that wet my appetite to playing county cricket or at least trying to explore it. Mm. Um, and that's where Owen came in because he was playing Abergavenny. Um, 
so he offered to, you know, he sort of struck up a bit of a deal. I'd stay with his parents because he was in London at that point with the MCC young cricketers. Um, I got a job in a pharmacy in Abergavenny. You know, that was because going to uni wasn't going to be possible with costs as an overseas. And um, so, yeah, so then in, so from 98, basically, I moved to Abergavenny and uh, Mark Wallace was an up and coming young yeah. keeper. Uh, he'd been in contact with with Kent, obviously playing for Glamorgan in England 19s. And um, he'd been in a bit of contact with Kent about potentially coming to Kent to be their keeper and replace Steve Marsh, who was at the time. Um, but uh, Wally decided he'd going to play for Glamorgan. And, um, and, and he and his dad sort of met, mentioned to me about how Kent were keen uh, or they're looking for a keeper. And, uh, and that, so I sat down with Owen's mum one night and, and, Form, formulated a letter to, to ride off to different counties just to ask for a trial. Yeah. Um, and that, so that's how it came about. I got invited back to a few. Um, I remember going up to Leicester for a trial there with, you know, I was literally thrown, I was early 20s at that point. What was that? That was in sort of 99. So I was, you know, 23, uh, thrown in with 20 to 30, 16 to 17 year olds. And here I was as a, you know, early. So that's what I had to do. Um, Kent was another one where I went for a trial. So, um, you know, it's sort of, I asked my boss at the, at the pharmacy in, in Abergavenny, how do I get to Canterbury? I've got this trial. How, you know, my little car I had was a Vauxhall Nova, which uh, if it if it rained, it conked out and would take about 15 minutes to, to dry out and start up again. And uh, and he explained to me, right, well, you've got to get you've got to get the train from Abergavenny to Cardiff. You get Cardiff to Newport, Newport up. And then the end he went, just take my wife's car. <laughs> so that was it. I, I set off, set, never, you know, never really driven that much on the roads and, you know, took myself four and a half hours off to, to Kent for my trial. And, uh, and in the trial, I ran down the wicket first ball, the spinner bowl to me um, just cause I, that's just what I did. <laughs> you know, it comes on and you know, head, you know, brain starts whizzing and down I go and charged and I whacked it back, back past him. And um, thankfully if I hadn't have done that, the coach said to me later on that he probably, you know, he wouldn't have really recognized or taken much interest, but because right. I, that, that's what that moment in a trial, you know, kids around the country or people listening to this will will know that if they've watched trials, that everyone thinks, right, don't get out, don't get out. You, you don't play a shot. And then that's what they were looking for. Whereas actually by doing the opposite and actually showing showing some ambition, you know, cricket's about scoring runs and, and, and doing that actually got me the recognition to be able to, to be asked back and they took some interest and it, that's, that's where it started from and, and went. Um, uh, that, you know, that, that was my journey from, from writing a letter in um, a room in Owen Dawkins parents' house to driving four and a half hours to get to Canterbury from, <laughs> from Abergavenny um, and whacking the spinner. If I hadn't have done that, then, you know, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Pretty, pretty incredible. I'm not sure. I can't see that happening. You know, in this in this day and age, you unless you're in the system from mid-teens, um, you know, to, to get you know, I know they have trials and you know they, they see these people, but but realistically, um if someone's going to a trial nowadays they're and they're not in a system, you know, their their chance of getting picked up is hugely remote. 
Yeah, definitely. It's with the academy system and everything. I think it's very rare to see it now, isn't it? So uh, fascinating story into into getting into Kent. And once you're at Kent, it's it's a hell of a side they've got there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I sort of set myself a target. So I had an initial two-year contract. Um, I'd, I'd played in 2000. I was still working full-time in the pharmacy in Abergavenny and tra- travelling to all the Kent games. Um you know, sort of asking for time off here and there. Um, and basically, I knew that was a trial year. Uh, and if I did well, I was I would get a contract. Um, or I'd put myself in a position to possibly get somewhere else. But yeah, and, that, and that's the mentality. Again, I took uh, to my first two years of my contract with Kent was that, right, here's a two year window to throw everything at it. You know, you you know, I was 23, 24, couldn't believe it. You know, I was being signed professionally to play cricket. Would never have dreamt that ever growing up. Um, so I threw myself into it. You know, lots of time on my own practicing um, out the back when there used to be nets there. And my whole thought process was come that second year that I would have played well enough or so well that Kent wouldn't have an option other than to sign me or. I would again play so well that another county will be clambering for, you know, to, to have my services because Kent at the same time had signed Paul Nixon from Leicester, yeah. you know, a big, a big site to move counties, um, you know, was quite a significant thing at that time. Yeah. And, uh, and Nico had moved and made that decision and it coincided with me getting my contract. So um, the decision was Kent either, stay with Nico or take a bit of a gamble on, on myself. And, uh, and thankfully my level of play in the previous two years had, had made the choice sort of, you know, Kent chose me and, uh, you know, Nico went back, back to Leicester and continued and had an incredible career that he, he started off there. So, uh, but it started my, started my journey and um, to 2003 was my first proper year in the, in the Kent first team. Yeah. I mean, you made your debut back in 2001, didn't you? In first class cricket there. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, just as a batter. So in my first year uh, as a professional down at Somerset, yeah, um, got out for a duck. Um, I, don't, I, I think I, I think I left. Didn't offer a shot to Keith Dutch, the off spinner, and he was, he was renowned for not really turning it. <laughs> so uh, that was my that was my start, sort of. And, you know, but then in the field, I you know different things. I remember doing a you know, quite a spectacular save on the boundary for four because I was just, I just loved it. I, mean, I couldn't believe where I was. And, but yeah, no, made my debut in 2003 in first class cricket. Uh, and also that year, um, sorry, 2001, uh, first class cricket. And also that year in white ball, one day cricket. Yeah. Uh, that was against Surrey, Surrey and mm. Saklay Mushtak with his, with his Doosra. Um, that's how I got off the mark, actually. Went to work one through mid wicket. Didn't pick the doozer outside edge, pass, pass, slip for a couple of runs. <laughs> you went on, you went on to give a match winning performance in that game, there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. See, you know, we lost a few wickets and came in, you know, batted quite a bit with Matthew Fleming. Uh, and I think I got mid 30s, but sort of changed the game a bit and um, made an impact. And, and essentially, that's I judged my whole career on, you know, my stats are pretty average you know not a great test average everything like that but um i purely judge myself on did i 
influenced the game for my, you know, and, and for my team? Did I make a difference to us winning the match? Um, so, you know, the, the numbers never really, were never prominent in my mind. You know, there's probably there's some people that on the back of their toilet door, they've probably got their stats framed and, um, you know, but that's because that's what dr- drove them. But that was, that was never me. My, my, my driving force was, have I contributed to the team in, in every match? Yeah, listeners to this podcast will know my, my knowledge of stats is pretty horrendous. I tend not to look too much. I, I've first look like you're giving me now stories and uh, and uh, impact and games that, that stand out. That's why I love them. I'm useless when it comes to stats. So my apologies if I get anything wrong for the rest of the interview. Um, Just go I, am, low. <laughs> I am intrigued by um, the Kent side because I, I currently just finished reading one of Ed Smith's book, which is a diary of the 2003 series, which he wrote. And obviously that was the year he played for England, wasn't it? So what was Ed Smith like as, as a person in around the, in around that changing room? He was, he was pretty, you know, quirky, definitely. You know, if you watch him on, if you see him on in interviews, he, you know, he looks a bit quirky and, um, and he was, he had some mannerisms with it. So he was, he would always line his shoes in pairs up before he had to bat. So he had rituals that he met before he would go out to bat. So his shoes were lined up together. His bats were upright, touching each other. Uh, and, you know, he, he had to be like that. He would, on the Velcro on his gloves, he would rip, 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 rip. He had a certain amount of numbers he would do. And on every, he was blooming annoying, in what, you know, but, but he, because uh, he, but he was also quite a natural, you know, he was very much about his back lift and a lovely striker of the ball. You know, that's, that's what I remember about him, the, the Christmas and how he could time a cricket ball. And, you know, we, we spent quite a bit of time in the, in the nets together because, again, for me, growing up in Australia, I had a back lift, which was quite high. I, I wasn't the traditional English method of a bit Graham Gooch sort of tucked in close and, and flat. My hands were pretty free. And, and, and Ed, Ed loved that. He's, um, you know, he's, he's his godfather is John Inverarity, which is Australian cricketer, um, bit of a legend in the game over there. And he, he had these things called Invadrills, which basically started with you rolling the ball along the floor. And it was all designed with bat swing and balance and striking of the ball. And Ed, Ed introduced me to these in, Invadrills and we would do them. And, you know, you, you then progress from the rolling ball up to a couple of bounces and then it would get more up to knee height and all designed for you to get over the ball and swing your bat and because... And, and I love them because, yeah, it just, I, for me, I felt my hands needed to be free and, and, and that's where, so he, he was a, a student of the game as well. You know, he, he really did sort of analyze it and, um, and worked out. So I, I really enjoyed his company because for me being immersed around that, I just played the game, even growing, growing up in Australia, coaching wasn't massive. You'd, you'd have a coach at the nets, but pretty much they were just there with a timekeeper. You know, whereas it wasn't until I really got into professional cricket that started to realise more about, understand more about the game and and how what you needed to do to to play certain shots and and, and Ed really analysed that and had a really good understanding of that and I think that's that's why he sticks with certain players. You know, Joss Butler because he would he would love the way that Joss picks the bat up and the way he, he flows and, and that's what he looks for in, in players. He, he, he doesn't want, he, you know, he, he doesn't want someone who's rigid and is, you know, 
not going to be flair and be nice on the eye to watch. And, and um, so, yeah, so no, I, I, I enjoyed it. He really enjoyed his company and, um, you know, it was a shame that it ended the way it did at, at Kent, but, you know, he's, he's gone on and, you know, he's proving to be very successful in, in that role of, uh, of selecting. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the other character who, which Gloucestershire fans will know would have been Andrew Simons as well in that dressing room. Yeah. So I'd, I'd played against Simo in Australia a bit. So knowing him, um, from there, he played for the Gold Coast, which, uh, along with Matthew Mott, um, who coached Glamorgan and is, is heavily involved in coaching the Australian women's side. But, um, you know, there's stories of, of Simo. He and Mossy both got 250s in a one-day game when they were playing under 19. Local. So he was a bit of a legend. And so then to go and play with him in that changing room was, um, yeah, it was, was good fun. He was a character, absolutely, you know, but he was also, uh, I hadn't really come across someone with that hunger to win like he had, you know, situations he would want the ball. You know, he, he felt he could change any game of cricket, whether it be bat, ball in the field. And, um, you know, and that rubbed off to to us other players at, at Kent as well, where, um, you know, you, you, you knew that if Simo got the ball, he'd be, he'd, he'd be trying everything he could to, to win that match. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you earmarked a game in two thousand and three, which which probably started your 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 you know, prominent with it, prominence with England was uh, the game against Essex when Nasser Hussain was playing. Was that right? Yeah, I think I. Yeah, at that, at that point I hadn't. I suppose you know I needed earmarks, but I hadn't really. I was just playing. You know, I was still still on that journey of uh, of you know I, I literally. It was such a quick rise to play first-class cricket. Um, you know, from those two years of playing in the second team with the odd game in the first team, um, still trying to learn my game a bit, uh, and then thrown into the first 2003. Uh, I think I started off the season really well, and that helped. You know, I got 100 on my first match, home match, which mm. was against Leicester. Nico had gone back to Leicester. He got 100 in the first innings. So all this, you can you know, you can imagine the murmurings going around the place that oh, what have we done? You know, <laughs> but thankfully I answered that straight away with my own hundred, and that gave me a real boost to the start of the season, and and it flowed from there. And I, I kept scoring runs, and I kept in form. And so when it came to Essex and uh, and NASA was playing, I, I was in good form. I was confident. Um, Essex was a nice pitch for me to play on. I, you know, enjoyed always enjoyed playing there. Uh, throughout my career um, out in the middle, you know, on the pitch. Yeah. The comments that came for out around the sides at Essex were, uh, you know, choice at times, but that's, that's what added to it. Um, but yeah, I, I think NASA got a double hundred, pretty sure NASA got a mm. double hundred. So I watched him bat a lot, but I myself got runs in both innings. Uh, and at the time NASA was playing for England, obviously has it had a great friendship with, um, Duncan Fletcher, the coach, and talking to NASA later on, he went back to Fletch to almost report back on on me and and what I'd done in that match. And at the time, Stewie was coming to the end, and they were looking. So again, timing was good. Stewie was coming to the end; they were looking for a keeper, and and I was doing the right thing at the right time. And and that match, without doubt, scoring runs at the right time helped me get the opportunity to go to Bangladesh in the winter. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, who else would have been around to replace you? I mean, Chris Reed at that time, was he about? Yeah, oh, there's some, you know, exactly, yeah. Chris Reed and Fozzie. They were Foster, probably the, yeah. yeah. Um, it was a bit early for Matt Pryor. Uh, yeah, I played against him a lot in second team cricket, but he was coming through the age group stuff and, and the academy and um, so hadn't quite hit hit the sort of the, the county scene fully as yet but you know it wasn't long before he was he was picked on tours but yeah for, to go on that 2003 it was because uh, Fozzie had been to New Zealand earlier um, Reed had been in the academy so they were probably they were the main three um, you know us three were, were the main ones vying, vying for that position. Did you um, did you have a decision to make about playing for England or was that always your choice? No, no, no. Like I say, my pathway in in Australia, um, I didn't see it because of the talent in front of me, and I wasn't going to change states. It wasn't, you know, that wasn't really uh, an option. Uh, if it was nowadays, maybe I would have considered it. You know, there may have, with that moving around, it may have been an option. But I looked at it and that and thought, right, okay, I've got this guy that's just come back from Victoria. They're obviously they've picked him straight away. They obviously rate him higher than me. There's Wade Seckham who's played and he's, you know, he's, he's close to playing for Australia. There's Ian Healy who's still playing. You know, I just thought, right, if I'm going to, you know, let's let's go and, and try. And I didn't go in the first point to, to be a professional cricketer. I just went using cricket to um, to come over to England to see what opportunities they were. And like I said earlier, my initial thought was coming to to go to university to, to, to potentially use that and, and cricket just happened in a way. Um, so yeah, the, the choice, there was never, never the choice. Um, England was, England happened. Um, whereas Australia, I felt, no, that was, you know, I would never have, I, I wouldn't have even played state cricket because of who was in front of me, to be honest. So how, how, how and when did you find out that you, you were being selected on the, on that England tour to Bangladesh? Pretty sure it was a phone call at Leicester, uh, late on in the season. Um, you know, there'd been a lot of press about it. Uh, again, because of my runs, I'd scored um, in both forms. And so uh, there was a bit of a groundswell. Uh, and uh, people were sort of pretty much saying, well, I, I was one of the names that will be picked. So I, but still to get that phone call uh, to be told, right, you're, you're off on an international tour um, to Bangladesh, you know, <laughs> It got better than that, <laughs> but as a yeah, you know, this was still an incredible journey for me. It was my first season playing for Kent in the first team. Uh, you know, a dozen or so games, probably or probably a few more, or less. You know, but probably 15, 16 games under my belt, first class to that point. Um, still really green, uh, and so that journey was so quick. I just took it. It was it was the next thing that happened, you know, a bit like, right, okay, you're going to get a trial for Kent. Okay, right, you're going to sign. And now right, we're going to pick you in that first team. And then it was just, right, okay, now you're off for England. So it just, it moved quickly, but the flow, the flow happened and helped in a way, but hindered as well because it was so quick. Nowadays, if you're in that environment, you're, you would have, played not England 19th probably you would have you know even in your county academy you probably would have gone overseas to to see these different countries to to do a spin camp in India 
uh, to potentially, you know, to, to do that sort of intensive training. Whereas for me, it just kept going and going and going. Yeah. So I had to learn on the fly and I, that definitely hindered me. Um, but what an, what, what an amazing sort of way to, to have to learn. Um, you know, every, every place I went to was a new adventure. Every wicket in a way was a new, new adventure. Um, and so it, it was tough. Absolutely. It was tough. Um, cause I didn't have a huge background to, to draw on. Um, and when you're at international level, yes, the guys talk to you and what have you, but they're, they're still ultimately looking after their place and, and trying their best to score as many runs as they can. And, and definitely they, you know, there's some tips along the way, but, but ultimately it is still up to you. And, um, the massive advantage nowadays that youngsters have coming into the, the higher levels is the wealth of experience and conditions that they've probably already been exposed to by that point. So they, they formulated their ways to play where, you know, for me, I was, I was still sort of working out every time. What do I do? How do I play it? What's the wicket going to do? And then, you, then you're coming up against Anil Kumble, you know, one of the world's best and they... T- and you get told he's wrong and, you know, his little finger pokes out when they bowl he's wrong. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, you know, I've got no hope, but, um, but I, I loved it. You know, it was, it was tough, absolutely tough um, mentally more than anything, adjusting to that all the time. But, you know, what a way to spend, spend, you know, a fantastic number of years and, and see, see the world and, 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 and play some incredible cricket. Yeah. I mean, test debut, Against West Indies, so yeah. somebody, somebody stole the show. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they well, well, again, that was just. I remember Vaughan telling me in the nets in the lead up that I was going to play, and and again, it comes back to you know, when I think about it, it. There's there's definite moments in my career that stand out as significant moments for performing and and how that has altered my path uh and i looked so i'd been to the bank i've been to bangladesh um bangladesh and sri lanka um that was pre-christmas uh i wasn't part of the one day so i'd flown out for the test matches flown back then flown to sri lanka and then this this trip was was after christmas um and i looked at it and i thought right okay Reedy, Reedy was the number one choice, had been pre-Christmas and rightly so was for the start after. Um, but I looked at it and I said, there's a, there's a warm-up gap match between the fourth and the fifth test match. If Reedy's smashed it and has performed, brilliant. He'll probably have a rest, you know, and fair play to him. But if, if he hasn't quite, and that might be an opening for me. And so I looked at that match and I thought, okay, I've got to score some. If I want to play, that's my opportunity there. Um, I got 60, um, but early on, I was I was so lucky. This is where luck comes into it in a way. Definitely, I was bowled off a no ball when I was on single figures. And that gave me the chance then to bat and go on and score those runs. And those runs helped the selectors, the guy, senior guys make that decision to, to pick me. Um, you know, we'd had an incredible trip. Hoggy had got a hat trick. You know, I, I, 
loved. I was a tourist for the first four test matches. Yeah, I remember remember going through. Um, you know, we they had little minibuses we went around. It's almost uh, transporters. And I remember one point being uh, driving through the gap. I think it's in Barbados where uh, I was in with Nasser Hussain, Mark Butcher, Graham Thorpe, and the Beanie Band. The, uh, there's a an artist called the Beanie Man. And he had a song which was all about Wes Mabima and, you know, like, so, and it was like a rap song and it just had a tune to it. And it was a bit of our uh, tour theme song. And I just remember driving through the gap with Mark Butcher hanging out this transporter with the music blaring and we'd uh, just won. And I just thought, wow, this is, you know, unbelievable. And so that was, it was a, what a great start. And to be with those sort of, legends of England, England cricket and learning it and then get their opportunity to play. So, um, yeah, and, but again, targeted and scored those runs um, and then might as well have taken out one of the deck chairs off the beach for the next four days to watch Brian Lara score 400. <laughs> yeah, outrageous, wasn't it? But it, again, eye-opening for me because from early on, he'd, he'd eyed that up and... Obviously, scoring that three seven five, or you know the previous world record on that ground, he knew it was flat, um, and they'd lost every Test match up until then, and so there was all all this talk of you know not winning a, a match in the series, uh, and he just had this look in his eye that when he was eyeing it up that he the previous night he batted for a bit, and that next morning I looked at him and he just thought thought. He's not going to. Let, there's no way he's going to let them lose this test match, and he and that's what he did. He just battered and battered and battered, and um, quite incredible, really, to think someone scored 400. Um, but he was never in doubt. We had a massive appeal when he was on single figures. Harmy was convinced. I was convinced. Lara to this day says no, doesn't didn't hit it. <laughs> but you know, we we would have been reviewing with everything we've you know everything we've had, but. Uh, Yes, but he that just showed me, okay, this guy is a proper legend. And to be able to have that mindset to say, it's up to me, I'm going to score these runs to save my country from not, you know, from, from losing every test match um, was, was pretty incredible. I had the best seat in the house. Well, what's the, when he's on 300 plus or even 200 plus and, and heading that way, what's the chat like between you guys in the slips and, and you? What, what, what are you even saying to each other? Oh, I didn't have any slips near me. They were everywhere. <laughs> I was on my own out there. Um, yeah, and but they'd all score runs. Uh, Ridley Jacobs came in and got a hundred. You know, yeah. so we knew we knew it was a grind. And we were basically from quite early on. You now, once he'd got his double hundred, we pretty much knew that he was lining up a world record. And so yeah. we were just. You know, we still tried our best, but it was so flat. Pro, you know, Gareth Batty wheeling away and Lara on a flat wicket doing what he wanted, you know, uh, and then you've got Ridley Jacobs coming in and bashing around. So we were just waiting, really, trying our best to get him out. But in our sort of heart of hearts, we knew that he was just going to keep batting and batting and bat and put this game so that they couldn't lose it. And as he got closer, we were all just waiting for the world record to happen. Yeah. Jumping forward then into the summer, um, you got your first test ton at Leeds. Yeah. Pretty, pretty sound experience. Peaked early, didn't I? Too early. <laughs> uh, yeah, amazing. You know, again, 
coming back in um, against New Zealand, uh, you know, we, we got to play them in a warm-up match at Canterbury. Uh, and I got some runs there. So it gave me confidence against their attack. Uh, and then, so having played that last test match, you're never guaranteed of, of being selected, but I still wanted to make sure I started the season well and score runs and, and have it so that I would carry on with those gloves. And um, I did that, got those runs in the, in the tour match. Uh, and so that put me in a great position going into that, into that test match up there. And um, yeah, it's pretty, you know, we went up there with, you know, some of the best I've battered just with my focus and the shots and uh, the mental side of it, the application I put into it. Uh, and so just, in my third test match to score a test match hundred uh, coming from a, you know, a lad that grew up in a country town playing on, on AstroTurf wickets on concrete or, or raised aluminium. I would never have ever have thought it, but um, amazing moment, which um, yeah, to think, think back on now to, to have that is something they can't take away, isn't it? And, um, uh, and, and so to have that under the belt, but I wish I'd got at least I should have got some more without, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, not exactly sure why I didn't, but uh, to show that I could at that level early on uh, really helped me and helped help going forward, I suppose, with Duncan Fletcher's mindset on me, Michael Vaughan's mindset on the type of character I was and the fact I, you know, I've got a hundred and um, that ability as well as, the gloves to, to score the runs, which is what they were after from that batter keeper, keeper batter position. Into the winter, I know we're whizzing through a bit, but into the winter, you played in that pretty awesome one day series against South Africa, didn't you? That was, a, that was the, the emergence of Kevin Peterson and the, is it Cabarelli's over, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So KP was unbelievable. Obviously we knew about, knew about him and he got selected for that and, you know, baptism of fire, going back to his country of birth and uh and the way he played was just incredible he was you know we got we got thrashed in that series the south africa were unbelievable justin kemp hit us everywhere yeah. uh you know so we were it was on the back of a hard five match test series which we won on the literally the last afternoon um but on the back of that we then had seven one dayers traveling all around the place and and Kev came in fresh and I think that that helped him. And he had that, uh, you know, he was there to, to put on a show and, and he did. Uh, and it was just incredible to get, I think he got three hundreds in the seven match series um, and was, was totally dominant. It was, it was just incredible. And, and then at the end of that trip, he got a dodgy old tattoo, which the crown isn't quite, quite level of in, in, uh, in, uh, in a tattoo shop in the bottom of, uh, I think, I think we're in, we I think we were in Johannesburg in the uh, in the Santon Santon Towers there, and uh, so yeah, he joined his mate Goffy with uh, with the three <laughs> lines badge, and the, the crown's not quite straight. But you know that that he's that's the sort of character he was. He was full. He threw himself into everything, and he was throwing himself into playing for England um, and doing an amazing job. Uh, and then yeah, you mentioned the Cabby Rally, and that's comes on a bit on on the TV, doesn't it? Sort of. Yeah. Uh, coming down to that that last over and uh, such a close match, uh, and me making the decision to stand up to the stumps 
on the last ball. I think they needed. I think the ties scores were tied. Scores were tied yeah. at the time yeah. when they needed a run. So it didn't. You know, it was. There's no point me standing back and letting them have a bye. Um, Cabs was an incredible death sort of Yorker bowler. Um, so I figured I'd just try and be the biggest barrier I could. So if it if it hit me, it wouldn't go very far. And I probably thought that's that was more likely what was to happen. It was to to hit me somewhere. And um, but he did. He produced the the perfect Yorker. Uh, it went into my gloves, and I actually had to wait a bit uh, for Andrew Hall to to go out of his his crease. It wasn't like he'd charged down. I actually I do remember having getting it in there and having to pause and wait for him to sort of take a few steps and then then whip the bales off. And um, so that yeah, that decision to stand up to to Cabby, who was, you know, he was a decent, decent pace bowler. I mean I didn't have a helmet on, whereas you know nowadays you wouldn't go up there without one. So um yeah, no, pretty happy with that decision and being able to uh to do do the skill and 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 tie the match rather than have it lost. Again, comes back to being able to uh, influence and and sort of do something for the team uh, as how how I judge. That's part one done then. Uh, as you can see, we're leading on to the Ashes next and then we'll talk about his move to Gloucestershire as well. So there's plenty still to go with Geraint. Uh, he's a great guy. So uh, like I said, hope you enjoy your Christmas and then join us on Boxing Day for part two.